This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Forgive me for running off the It's Tom from Washed Up Emo. I want to take a moment before the episode to tell everyone something. Last month, my father passed away from cancer, and I took a break from everything related to this site and the podcast to take care of my family. Through all the pain, music was there for me. There was a huge help to listen to my favorite bands and feel good. The music that we call emotional music, as I've said time and time again, is not sad. It's uplifting and beautiful to experience. There is no other music like it. This scene is so important to me, and I couldn't have done all the work around my father's death without the music. Thought if you had a minute, I'd read a little bit about my father for you to get a glimpse into his very rich life. There are many things I could touch on about his life, but one thing that keeps coming up as I look through the photos, talk to friends and family, is his love for learning and telling a joke. It was a huge part of my dad's life, and I'd like to share a few of those memories. As a fifth grade teacher, my father instilled very early on that school was very important. I also thought every parent had two months off every summer. I didn't realize that was just teachers until later. In the same breath, he also let me know that he knew every single one of my teachers that year. And if I was fibbing about not having homework, he would threaten to call the teacher on the phone to double check. Or if I got in trouble at all, he would know in seconds. Both are true. Both happened. Lesson learned. Don't call his bluff. He was a man of his word. Throughout my life, the newspaper and magazines were something my dad loved. Each morning, he'd be down at the kitchen table with the funnies all set for me or the box score of last night's Celtics game. There was even a specific sound the papers made as he folded the pages with a loud whack and moved on to the next section. Years later, I'd mimic it to push his buttons. The sharing of things that I liked or wanted to read continued when I was in college with cutout of childhood friends in the paper or articles on a musician. Then we emailed and we also texted. He loved to share something he knew someone would enjoy. In my work profession, it's not what you know, it's whom you know. I utilize this trait with emails and texts for friends that I know will like something I've seen, heard, or experienced. It's helped me build great bonds with friends and colleagues. I do it out of love, not of need. I couldn't have done it without him. Lesson learned? Share what you see with others. He loved reading. There was always a stack of books and magazines at the ready by his chair. From fishing, gardening, history, sports, fiction, biography, finance, birds, and even toward the end, books on cancer. Growing up, we'd go to the mall as a family, and the bookstore was his candy store. Scouring the sections with my sister, my mom, myself, I remember him saying I could pick anything in the bookstore. That didn't happen in a music or clothing store. Books were worth it, and he always supported reading. 
Many times at the mall, he'd be recognized as the teacher. I think it was the coolest thing. As the years passed and the students he taught mounted, he forgot who was coming toward him, saying, Hi, Mr. Mullen. He'd lean in, saying under his breath, Who is this? I'd reply, Dad, Bobby Spencer, his mom works at the dentist office. Thanks, Tommy. He'd say, and engage with Bobby and his mom, not missing a beat. Lesson learned, simply read and be proud enough to ask a question. My dad made me laugh more than anything. One of my favorite jokes was, was he was in the beer line at a Montreal Expos game one summer. The concession person said, would you like Labatt Blue or Labatt 50? And without missing a beat, just one would be fine, thanks. The look on the French-Canadian was priceless. Some of my favorite times were involved relaxing at night watching TV with my family. The news was one of my dad's favorite targets for jokes. One-liners would come flying out of the way as the anchor delivered the last line about a fire or a poor soul just graduated college as a news reporter at a local animal shelter with cats. You knew a line was coming. Quick, subtle, and hilarious. Lesson learned? Remember to laugh. I even learned something from him last month when he passed. I never truly realized how private he was. As the cancer took hold, he shielded the news of his illness with others and me. Never wanting to know how much longer he had, never putting on to his friends, family, or even his son how bad it really was, yet still cracking a joke and finding a quip to soften the mood till the end. Lesson learned, respect someone's decision to do things their own way, no matter how mad and sad you are at them on the phone. Forever a teacher, my dad never stopped learning. He doesn't want you to stop either. This is episode 74 of the Washed Up Evil podcast. Today we welcome Slaughter Beach Dog. Slaughter Beach Dog is Jake Ewald from Modern Baseball. His solo album was a way for him to figure out his bout of writer's block. What came out was a beautiful album, worth your time. Jake took time recently to talk with me about his upbringing, learning about music, and how the band had no idea what 90s emo was. Amazing. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, Jake is one of the bright new stars of the independent scene, and here's to my church buddy, Jake. Thanks for being on the show. If you're interested and want to have a few things to support the website, first, you can leave a nice review, or you can support our Patreon account, where you can support enough for me to quit my real job. Third, you can buy merchandise on our Washed Up Emo store, washedupemo.threadless.com, which includes men, women, kids, and even wall art. Amazing. Enjoy the episode and feel free to reach out to me anytime, admin at watchedupemail.com or any single social network that you have. I'm there and I'm always here. Thanks for listening. It means the world. This is episode 74 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Jake Ewald from Modern Baseball and Slaughter Beach Dog. <laughs> what was that person or moment that your kind of mind opened up about music? Um, I guess my parents... Or specifically, my dad was into like rock music, so that was kind of the, I guess, the slow intro to like, oh, you, you know, there are CDs out there that you can buy and listen to, um, and I guess from a kind of young age, we would always like go to Target, and it would be like, oh, do you want some CD from some band they've never heard of before? And I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, and I'll like go pick one out and then go listen to it and see what it sounded like. Um, so I think that was like the original intro. I mean, I, I grew up going to church with my parents, so there was a big, like, um, there's tons of music in church all the time, but that was kind of a different story. Um, but as far as like rock music goes, it was kind of just 
I guess having having cool parents who are like, yeah, do you want a CD? And then if it had like a parental advisory sticker or something on it, my dad would like ask my other friend's dad if he had listened to it. Like, is it really that bad? Like, can I let him listen to it? So stuff like that. Um, what were some of those yeah, first CDs? Kind of, what were you going to say? What were some of those first CDs? Like, what were some of those first ones at Target? Do you remember? Um, I think the first CDs I ever bought were in the same purchase. Uh, it was the All-American Rejects record with Dirty Little Secret on it mm-hmm. and Dookie by Green Day. Uh, and then after that, it was kind of like, uh, let's see, I don't know. And also, my, my dad would buy CDs a lot, and we would kind of like listen to the same ones in his car. And it was like that kind of stuff. He was really into U2, so it was like whatever the newest U2 CD was at the time. <laughs> um, and then we both, but we also liked uh, a lot of guitar indie stuff, like Interpol and Block Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I started um, finding out more about music on my own when I was going on the internet more, as that got more popular, it was like uh, My Chemical Romance and Say Anything and Motion City Soundtrack and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. What Now, um, when you said you were going to church, I had a, uh, was it, was it was a Catholic? Was it Protestant? Like, what was what was the what was, what was the type of church? It was uh, my mom and both of my grandfathers were United Methodist ministers, mm-hmm. which is like a pretty liberal kind of um, what's it called denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a just every Sunday. It was like a thing. It was I guess pretty much every Sunday since I was born. Actually, pre-born because my mom was. You know, doing it while I was in her belly, uh, <laughs> and then through when I went to college, it was like we were in church every Sunday, and it was just not really <laughs> a conversation. But also, it wasn't. You know, I was never a rebellious uh, child, so it was just like, yeah, it's the thing that we do, and it was really cool. Um, it was a great community to be involved in, especially because it was generally um, liberal, at least compared to a lot of other churches. So I was always surrounded by a lot of um, like other kids and it was easy to make friends and there were also a bunch of um you know families there that we were friends with that were really supportive of my parents whenever they were raising me and my sister so yeah it was cool the i mean it was interesting the uh i i had to go to church every sunday as well catholic mm-hmm. and the way i got oh, through, the way i got through it was i started playing in 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 the uh band the church band. Oh yeah, I did that too. I yeah. was like, if I'm gonna have to sit here for 45 minutes and hear yeah. this, I'm gonna really something. And so the, I remember like that was the way I got through it. So I actually loved playing. I I, I play guitar, so I like I loved playing mm-hmm. with these. Cause you like got better and like my band that I yeah, was in totally. outside of it. You got because you were playing every week and the songs were simple, but it was more about yep. tempo and listening to people and yeah. Right, vibing off each other. Yeah. That's the only totally. way I got Yeah, my mom uh, was very into the, like, praise band type deal at church. She was really into having, like, a four- or five-piece band that, like, played more modern songs as opposed to just hymns. And so before, when she would be, like, uh, when she would get appointed to a church, uh, if that church wasn't necessarily 
so into that. She would have to like recruit me and my sister to be part of the band if she couldn't get enough, uh, you know, like people within the church to be like, oh yeah, we're really excited about this. <laughs> there were a bunch of people who were like, no, we just want to sing hymns. What are you doing with that guitar? So we did that a lot. Oh, that's cool. I just you just spurred a memory. I remember I convinced the priest to. I was straight edge, and so I convinced him to do <laughs> a church sermon. Or sorry, whatever they called it. I'm, I'm, after I got uh, <clears throat> confirmed, I, I stopped going. I'm sorry. Um, I'm pointing to the sky. Uh, uh, the um, the uh, I, I convinced him to do a ch- a church mass. Sorry, it's called a mass without alcohol. So I, we did we did it with like gra- oh man, we did it with grape juice and cookies. That's so cool. <laughs> Wow, that rock! I was like, Dude, straight edge revenge. And we got to do electric, so we had electric band, and oh, then man. we had grape juice instead. So I was like, straight edge band. I'm, I am, I am rebelling <laughs> in a church. Yeah, that's so cool. Holy shit! But it's interesting. You kind of talk about that community, and you're sort of, I think. That's yeah. not saying it's DIY, but you've got these groups of people that have similar interests. It's for a good yeah. thing. You're helping yeah. each other. There's a lot of similarities to the music scene. Totally, yeah. It's so weird how, you know, when you grow up in that kind of environment, it feels natural. But once you get outside of it, if you were to look at, you know, any group of people who are all attending a church, you would just think, like, these people don't have any obligation to care about each other or even think about each other, why would they ever be involved with each other? But when you put, you know, the same people in a church or in, like, uh, a DIY space, it's like, oh, everyone looks out for each other and is friends and just, like, has the other person's best interest in mind because you're part of a community. So yeah. it's really cool. And when you were finding out about music on your own, you know, those bands were, so, I mean, Motion City just kind of played their last show. Uh, FYI, yeah. there, there is no last show. They're, they'll be back. Um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just letting everybody <laughs> I'll come know. crawling back. <laughs> they'll be crawling back. Someone's going to have a kid or something's going to happen, and they're yep. going to be like, one more time. <laughs> but, one more time. But, those, but that kind of, when you were you know, finding out about that, was what other things were happening? Were you finding out about the DIY, DIY venue? And th- this was all in the Philly area, correct? This was actually in Maryland. I didn't go oh. to Philly until college. And so, but part DC of that stuff. was that there wasn't, what's that? Was it, were you close to D.C. or were you further out? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, for a long time, I was in like a suburb of a suburb of D.C. It was like a real country town. And then we moved a little bit closer uh, once I was getting near the end of high school. But since we were so out there, there was very little... Uh, DIY going on. There was like one, uh, there was a fire hall in this town called Mount Airy that was 45 minutes from where me and all my friends were at the high school. And if there was a good show on a Saturday or something, then we would all get in our cars and like drive 45 minutes to see like, you know, 10 pop punk bands play this one like terrible fire hall show. Um, but that was but it was like the best, you know, it was the best day of the month for us because it was like this one show that was happening. Um, so, and then as a result of that, some of me and my other friends realized that there was like a community space in, uh, this little development called point of rocks near where we lived, which was like 10 minutes down the road. Um, and it was just a community center and somebody who lived in that 
uh, little area, got the contact info for whoever ran the building, and they started letting us have shows there uh, every now and then. So once a month, when we got you know tired of driving 45 minutes, we would have this thing called Point of Rocks Fest, where it was like 10 of our friends' bands who would play once a month in this place, and like the same 40 people would come every time, uh, and we would all pay $5.00. And, you know, it was like once a month to come watch all the same bands and like one random band from West Virginia or whoever uh, was in town at the time. But it was so cool that, like, it, it was kind of a bummer that that was the only thing that we had to look forward to. But at the same time, it was amazing how, like, every single time the same 40 kids showed up because it was like, we want to see bands. And, like, if you started a band, your band would play. Uh, and it was just a fun thing that we did uh until we all moved away kind of i think that shaped you i mean that that sort yeah, of yeah it, it wasn't like you were heading out to the arena show and no. you know seeing sort of a processed you know a lot of these things are very contrived and it's the same set i mean you were seeing mistakes yeah. you were seeing people grow you were seeing bands get better yeah, totally. You can have a way better idea of the process of like how being in a band works. Like before all that, I would go, I would go into Baltimore or DC. My parents would drive me, and we would see um, like well, one time I went to see the All American Rejects, and I went to see like fucking say anything and whoever. But were you going so to like weird, especially where, at where were those venues? Like was it was it nine thirty club or was it more of was it not that? There was 930 Club. There was this place in Baltimore called uh, Ramshead Live where yep. I went a lot. Uh, and there's a smaller club called Auto Bar. Um, Great venue. Let's see. Yeah, it was mostly Auto Bar and Ramshead Live. But I was so young at that time, and I hadn't been going to those DIY shows yet, that being in a band was just like, you know, you walk into one of those places and you assume that every person you see on stage is like, in a tour bus and rich <laughs> and like all these things. And you're like, this is cool that I'm like, you know, around a celebrity. And then you go, you know, you go to a DIY show and it's like, Oh, this is what you do. You know, if you have a band now and then eventually you get to play a bigger venue and you probably won't have a bus when you get there. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, it was so weird to like, because that was, the, like, going to those DIY shows was the first time that I saw a band, and they would do the typical, like, yeah, you know, uh, we're sleeping in the van, we drove, like, 15 hours last night, uh, we haven't showered in, like, 12 days, and now, of course, since we've, like, toured more, those are all just, like, tropes of whatever, but hearing that for the first time and, like, peeking out the door behind the fire hall and seeing this band's, like, 15-passenger van that looks like shit they've been sleeping in was, like, oh, my God you can just like be in a band if you give up everything and get in a van. That's kind of cool. So that was so like, I remember specifically the first time that I was watching just like, you know, some pop punk band and they like said that they're like, yeah, we've been on tour for a month and we're your age and we're just sleeping in our van. And I was like, Holy shit. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I love I mean, everybody listening now is going to be thinking about that time because that, yeah, that, yeah. Th those, those little things that a band says, uh, 
even if it's encouragement or a little like tip mm-hmm. that you remember and you you probably think about it without even knowing now right totally yeah it's it's really weird the things that i never would have you know discovered on my own and for those people at that point it was just a part of their lifestyle but somehow it hit me at the right time and i was like oh dang this could i could do that too i think sometimes about if i was going to shows now and Mm -hmm. i would know everything about the band before going in these sometimes you go to these yeah. shows and it was just a friend telling like like a friend told me yeah you know come to this show and i'm like okay well jody told me to go to the <laughs> show so i'm gonna go i don't know who the bands are i don't know what they look like and you had this yep. it was such a fresh page and now it's like if i'm going to see modern baseball i know your names where you're from yeah uh, <laughs> like everything and i just I don't know. It feels if I, I, I sometimes want to have like a clean slate when I go in sometimes. Totally. Totally. And not have any like, notions, preconceived notions about everything. It was so, especially like when we were, when there was one, you know, when there was only like one or two shows a month that we would go to, it was like, there wasn't even, this was by this time there was like MySpace and stuff and all the bands would have a song out on MySpace. But a lot of the time, it didn't even matter because that was like the one show. It wasn't like we were going to look up the band and if the band like wasn't that good, we were like, Oh, I guess I'm not going to go to this one. I'll just wait for next month. It was like, we're going to that show. I don't give a shit who's playing. I'm just want to go to go watch music. I want to get out of so, this house. Bye mom. Bye yeah. dad. <laughs> Bye mom. What about, um, when you, uh, was guitar your first instrument was, were you, were you thinking, did singing come into play? Like what, what, how, how did that all start? Um, so in third grade, I started playing cello. And then by the time I got to sixth grade, I moved to a different school, which was the school in that kind of country-ish town. And they didn't have an orchestra program. And my mom like petitioned the principal to make them get an orchestra guy. Um, I like your my parents. Mom was really sweet, but also, they're they're very chill. They're, they did a, a, a whole fucking lot for me, uh, I, and I really love them. But, but so that's that's a good example of my mom being my mom, and it worked. But, no way. Uh, yeah, but there was one other kid in the program, so it was like every day for an hour and a half, it would be me and this like orchestra guy who was really zany. And then there's like one other kid who had a violin and hated playing violin. And the three of us would sit in the room and like be miserable together. So that was when I decided I wanted to play bass guitar because I heard Dookie. And then after that, I was like, cello is boring. Uh, but now I wish I still played cello. So then after that, I, I like bought a bass on eBay. Started playing, uh, just like learning songs on that in my room. And then a couple of years after that, my mom's friend just like gave me an old acoustic guitar that he had. I wasn't using it anymore. And I started playing around on that. And then a couple, a uh, year after that, I found like a drum set on Craigslist and my parents let me have it in my room and like play drums in my room. So then I wanted to play drums and I never really, I don't think I actually sang until I went to college because I was so, I used to be like really, really shy as a kid and still am uh, a lot of the time. But, and so singing is like the apex of, you know, uh, the thing you don't do whenever you're shy. Mm-hmm. So I never sang, even in church every Sunday with my family when they were like 
sing these hymns. I would just be like, no, I don't just stand there. I would always just mouth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just mouth uh, it? Because you're, yeah, because your mom and dad are going to look over, and as long as you're like mouthing it, they're not going to give you crap. Right. There's so many other people singing. You exactly. can't even tell. No, I was singing they with They sound the, great. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to ruin it. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know, started, it was a lot of the learning music came from being, I was never really into sports and I also was never, I had friends in high school definitely, but I was never super social. I wouldn't be like calling people to hang out and stuff. So a lot of time I would just get home from school and go down to my room and like learn how to play songs on guitar or something. I just did that all, all the fucking time. <laughs> I would like put on a Say Anything record and learn every song on the record and then be like, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. I just had a, you know what I was thinking as you're talking? That that high school as a, that high school story you said about the zany orchestra teacher and you two other, yeah. that is a sitcom. Or that it, dude, it was, it was real. <laughs> It was very, one time he took us to Roy Rogers, and he was the first person I ever met who, like, did that thing where you put mayonnaise on your french fries, and I was like, this cannot get weirder. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. <laughs> and then you then you find out later that England, that's just normal. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so Dude, weird. Sean was like, I don't know. Where is some, he now? people put it on their salad. It's crazy. Where's where Sean now? No, where's your music teacher? Yeah, where is he? I don't know. I have, I have, can't say I've heard from him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, think of the job. Think of the job description that that school had to throw out there. Hey, this oh mom God, really yeah. needs an orchestra teacher. We're in the middle of nowhere. Right. You might have two students. I'm tr- <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine how deceptive it was, or if they just put it all out there. <laughs> and the town was seriously in the middle of nowhere. It was. What was it? It was a 20-minute drive from, like, a suburb. And then that suburb was, like, a 40-minute drive to, like, D.C. or Baltimore. So we were out there. We were, like, cornfields. Yeah. There was nothing. There were literally three stoplights in the whole town. So there wasn't much orchestra going on. No, there wasn't much. I don't think there was. (laughs) I love that. uh, It was funny, you know, you learning how to play those songs. I... The memory is I was sitting in my room playing a Rage song, like a Rage Against Machine song, and yeah. it was the one where it was like, fuck yeah. you, you won't you know, do what you tell me. And yeah. I got a bang on the door. And I was like, oh, my oh no, my mom's mad. Because it was my mom's <laughs> knock. Because my dad's knock was different. Yeah. Your, da- your mom and dad have different okay. knocks. This, is, this was my mom's yeah. knock. So I opened the door, and she's completely oblivious to what was being said. She's like, I like when you play guitar yeah. in the house. And I'm yes. Like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Thanks, mom." She's like, "You play really good." I was like, "Thanks a lot." Of oh course, the mom is going to do that. She doesn't care that they're swearing for twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you think about how it must be like so nice because the whole time that you know me and you are sitting there in our rooms like playing guitar for years and years, they're the ones that are sitting upstairs and being like, "Oh my God, this sounds so friggin' bad. When is he going to stop?" But then a day comes. When they're sitting there and they're like, wow, this doesn't sound that bad. No. It sounds like you're doing it the right way. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I used to have to petition to go to shows. Uh, 
Oh, really? Yeah, my curfew was really early, and I had to explain to them that it was this DIY venue. They were done at midnight. I'll be home at 1230. And I had an older sister who had a curfew. So I had to, like, basically they broke down, and they were like, you can just go because we know you don't drink. (laughs) You're not going to do anything stupid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're just going to see some dumb band. And I'm like, yes. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is, it is cool that I forget why... My parents trusted me. I think it was I like mean, they drove you into DC. Of, That's awesome. They drove me into DC, and then for the DIY shows, since it was closer, I would just like borrow one of their cars and drive over with my, one of my friends. But I never, I like never snuck out, and I never went to parties or anything. And but they knew that a bunch of kids at my school would like go to parties and get messed up and stuff. So I think when I told them like, oh, I'm gonna go see bands play with my friends. They were like, oh, well, it's cool that you're not going to a party and, like, lying to us. So I think there was just a trust there. Yeah. And also, it was was only on the weekends. It was never on weekdays. See, we had, like, a, you know, Wednesday night they would get a show. I grew up in a small town as well in Vermont. Yeah. Like, we didn't really get shows like you did. So when a band came through, Mm -hmm. I had to, like, lobby and be like, Mom, okay, so Madball, they're from New York City, (laughs) and they don't usually come up this far. I don't know, it's like, right. you know, you have to, right. they're like, what are you talking about? Oh my God. <laughs> Mom, okay, so, Madball, check it out. <laughs> they have this song called Set It Off. I just need to see that. <laughs> <laughs> just let me just set it off. I'll come straight home right yeah, after they play it. <laughs> I promise, I promise. Can I, can I just please go? And, you know, I would come back yeah. and I would have a CD or have a 7-inch or I'd have a T-shirt that was yeah. extra large. Did, yeah. you, did you find that? that when, when did bands start making mediums? Because when I went to shows, it was XL or large. Like, when did they start doing that? I feel like I was only, I don't know. Everybody, everyone that I was friends with who was buying band T-shirts was only, they were like, that was when you were buying the small. You were going as small as you oh, could go. And you're your pants right. were going as tight as you could you're go. Right. And we had a different era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was at Equal Vision, it was like oh four or five. Mm-hmm. I remember we were joking about trying to find the deepest V cut shirts. Oh my God. That for me that was so like not me wearing them, but like going to those shows with the ten bands on them, it was like so real. It was so really real. real. And then just looking back, it was terrifying. But, so, yeah, that, man. That time period, you, I, I kind of love you, your age and my age because I was working in it. So, I was <laughs> working bands like yeah. Circus Survive, oh, Chiodos, wow. Fall of Troy, right. for Sleep. Yeah. Those were bands I was like at a job sitting there all day. You were the kid Holy shit. there. Yeah. So, yeah. I was super frustrated because it got so derivative so quick. Yeah. And as as you were I in it, were you feeling that? Mm-hmm. Were you feeling that, okay, well, I like Say Anything. I love my chem, mm-hmm. but what's did you, being in it, did you see that it got ridiculous? Or, like, uh, I, mean, I also felt every one of my friends instantly liked half the bands I liked um, from, mm-hmm. you know, if it was from mainstream media or it just okay. it just got really big. Like, in it, what were you feeling? My thing that I realized later on when I got to college and everyone was like, oh, you've never listened to fucking, like, I don't know, uh, The the Descendants before. And I was like, oh, no. 
I was so bad at, not bad, but I had no idea how to or why to listen to bands that influenced the bands that I was seeing. Um, even down to like when I would go to the fire hall shows and I was watching like, you know, derivatives of the wonder years at that point, even, mm-hmm. um, I would, there was no thought in my mind that was like, Oh, these bands sound like something else or these bands, um, really love some other band that's how they sound like this. It was just like I was exposed to at least so little live music and even a lot of I didn't listen to that much punk recorded music then. So when I would go see a band that was like fast and loud, that was the only band like I couldn't see like the sphere around it of like where everything came from. And then when I got older and started I think also once I got deeper into the internet and I was like, oh, all those bands were, like, really bad. <laughs> and there's, like, a way better version that was around five years ago. Um, I had that realization way later. But I think it was just so, like, I was so excited to go see bands. And I hadn't heard, like, I really hadn't heard that many bands in my life at that point. So it was just, like, whatever was there, I was like, this is what's going on. Um and eventually, I guess towards the end of high school, I was like, okay, this is really ridiculous. Um, what that year was, when was that? I, got, I graduated in 2011, and that was, everyone was doing, like, super fucking, like, four-year-strong Wonder Years type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, no offense to either of those bands, but obviously, like we're fucking great friends with the Wonder Years, but they were they were like five notches below, um, and it was by the time that both those bands were doing other things. Yeah, they they had moved on. Was, yeah, but everyone was just like sitting around in the fire hall, like playing this. I don't know. It was just it got it got really weird. Like it was so. I remember probably my sophomore year of high school. Like, the Wonder Years came through on the Upsides tour. And it was like, uh, I wasn't at that show, but I saw a bunch of pictures from it. And they played to, like, 50 people or, like, 100 people. And it was, like, insane. And Soupy had this fucking ripped-up shirt where he, like, wrote, I'm not sad anymore on it with the Sharpie. Oh, my And they were just, like, doing whatever the fuck they wanted. And then, at the same time, like... Man, Overboard played a show off of, uh, like, their first LP, and everybody was, like, seeing them as, like, the holy grail of everything. And that was, like, 50 people. And then both of those bands started doing their own thing and, like, um, moved on to play bigger stuff. But then there were so many... There were so many kids and bands who, like, saw those two shows and were like, we're just going to do this forever. And, like, every show you went to after that was the same thing. And, like, there would be a band of, like, four dudes who would play that exact kind of music they saw at that one show. And then people would stop liking it. And two of the dudes would start another band with two different people but keep playing the same music. And it was just, like, this cycle of, like, nothing changing at all. Um, And that got really annoying. 
but I, sorry, I just rambled a really long time. No, that's why. <laughs> no, that's why this is a podcast. This is great. That's why we have no, no, we, we have well, we have no time limits. No, I think what you kind of said, partly, <clears throat> excuse me, is that sort of small town thing where you mm-hmm. have you're exposed to what comes through. So if a right, band from exactly. New York, if a band New York like Madball comes through and shows that you can mm-hmm. rip it on that first song and throw a breakdown in it like 45 seconds, yep. the local bands are going to start throwing breakdowns in at 45 seconds. Think of yep, that. They're going to do it. So it's like you only get exposed to what's around you. And if you're right, if the Wonder mm-hmm. Years and Four Years Strong, that was what was going on, that's what they're exposed to. What's I thought was interesting was that same time, 09, 10, is when I started hearing that term emo revival. And I started hearing yeah, yeah. these bands sort of skipping over that and sort of sounding right. like uh, sounding like the Midwest stuff or sounding like DC. Yeah. Can you, were you sort of aware of that as well? Because it blew my mind. I thought it was literally forgotten mm-hmm. to the Ice Ages. Dude, the thing that was one of the funniest things about when Modern Baseball first started putting out music was we. I think it was when we put out the first EP and then when we put out sports, um, there, were, there were a lot of people that were like, this is garbage, but there were a lot of people who would say, I love this um, because it sounds like 90s emo. Uh, and we were all like, we would be like, oh, that, that sounds like such a cool compliment. Uh, you know, it's so cool that everyone thinks we sound like third eye blind. We had no fucking idea what 90s emo was. We had no idea what it was. Had never heard anything about, like, I don't know, the Get Up Kids or, like, fucking anybody. We didn't know. We didn't know what everyone was saying. That's what we sounded like. But we were like, it sounds cool, but we have no idea what that means. It was such a special time in our history where we were like, so stoked that somebody liked something about us, even though we didn't even know what it was. So that is, it was very confusing. That is fucking uh, awesome. I love you guys. I'm going to give you a hug the next time I see every single one of you. I'm going to give you a hug. Cool. I love that. So, Hell yeah. That's amazing. You guys had no, no fucking idea. No, yeah. no. It was so funny because because <laughs> that happened, we were like, okay, we have to find out what it is. And that's when I got into like Page of the Lion. And that's when we all started listening to the weaker bands, and we all started listening to like all that kind of stuff. And it was like, oh, this is this is like good music that came out when we were a lot younger and we missed it. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to listen to it. It was just there before we were. So it was it was after that happened that we started going back and listening to all those bands. But it was such a funny like backwards. That is, I sense you guys. I don't know if you, that Kevin Smith movie where Jay goes, "What the fuck is the internet?" Like he's like, you know, he's so confused on like, wait, what are you talking about? Who's talking shit? Where? What is that? <laughs> yep, that's us. Yep. What the oh, man. fuck this is, is special he time. And then, I mean, did you? I mean, when ban- when people would do that to me, sometimes like. They would say, "Oh, you you like." I'm going to keep bringing up Madball because it's funny. Like if you if you, yeah. you like Madball, <laughs> you should like Agnostic Front. And I remember listening to it, or, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Ah, it's a little more glow. Yeah. I like the newer stuff." Or maybe it was when you were listening back to some things. Were you 
that same tendency where you're like, this doesn't sound, or, I mean, you pick two good ones. If it's Pedro and weaker thans, like first they were recorded, <laughs> they were recorded. Amazing. The, yeah. you know, the musicianship, the, it just, you pick some good ones to go to first. Yeah, it was definitely, there was a super confusing aspect to it in regards to one thing was definitely the production quality was because the thing about all those bands is that if you are lucky enough, well, not lucky enough, but if you manage to, you hear about those bands and then you manage to find somebody who knows about them and you say, okay, awesome. I've never listened to anything like this. What should I listen to first? And of course that person's going to say, oh, dude, the first record, amazing, untouchable. And then, you know, me and whoever else who has only listened to, like, big-budget rock music before this will go back and listen to the first page of the Lion record and think, oh, my God, this sounds like garbage. Why would anyone listen to this? This is ridiculous. And so then there's that gap of, like, you know, how long are you going to wait until you try it again? But for a lot of the time it was, yeah, like you said, um, listen to one of the more recent records that's kind of more what you're used to and then start going backwards from there. And eventually you do get back to the first record and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So it was a really interesting process of like hearing about those bands, finding something that you could latch on to early before you're really exposed to it, and then like working your way through the catalog. Um, but it was, in retrospect, it was like a really fun process to get to do that with so many bands. I think we're we're. I, I thought of another another TV show idea. I just I just bring on emo bands yeah. to listen to old emo bands and watch their reaction. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, like the first fucking Get Up Kids EP. Woof. God. There's some crazy stuff out there. Yeah, it's They're crazy. Yeah, the you know if if uh, the, the 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 context of them and where and why. It's a, it's I think too it's about that education and history and you need that yeah. person at that show or you need that place that yeah. is trusted for you to under like listen to them because you're I'm sure that I was lucky to not have the internet for a minute and now I kind of was in a transition mm-hmm. where I was young enough to get it and now I'm old but I can I get it I'm <laughs> on it but I think there's a lot of people that it miss them. But for you guys, yeah. it's like it's always kind of been around, and that education part—you almost have everything flying at you. And how do you? How can you yeah. tell if it's legit or not? It's not like exactly. your buddy giving it to you at the show. Yep. And one thing about that that I just realized is, um, by the time by the end of high school and by the beginning of college for us, um, that was the that was like the the peak of like. Um, specialized music blogs. Like, everyone would have a music blog about their taste of music, but that blog, at that point in time, could be, like, a valuable website. So any one of us would have just one certain music blog that where we took everything they said as, like, you know, the highest opinion because it happened to blend with what we liked. But it was so weird because you wouldn't have none of us were looking at more generalized websites like Rolling Stone or Pitchfork or Stereo Gum or something like that. We were all looking at these really specific blogs where like one person's opinion was like all this one kind of band from this one time. And coincidentally, no, no one ever found a 90s emo blog. It was all like, you know, 2007 blog. Um, so it was, it was just like, 
there's so much information out there, but it was, you know, you have to know when to look for it and when to like stop looking. It was really weird. Yeah, the uh, I started Washed Up Emo in 2007, and I spent a good year and a half, two years just yelling. Uh, I was so angry. <laughs> And I was angry at the UK because they're 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 still ridiculous. Oh yeah, they're still ridiculous. Uh, they just it's lo- weird over there. It's weird over there. Uh, let's just let's just leave it at that. I love. Uh, there's a bunch of friends over there. A bunch of Brits just came to uh, one of our DJ nights in Brooklyn, and literally mm-hmm. we had to kick them out. They were fantastic. They sang oh, brand yeah. new with us. Um, yeah, they were great. They were fantastic, but just they're they. They have no idea. So I literally spent two years, you know, complaining, but you probably didn't find it. But then it was like Blogspot, and <laughs> it's not like I had, you know, yep. search credits with Google. <laughs> you know? Right, right, dude. <laughs> what a weird world. <laughs> but now like it's... Our, well, our, our fucking... One of our best friends in college was... Hold on, one second, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I got a call coming in, but I think it's from a telemarketer. Our friend uh, Zach Cirillo was in all of our classes in college, and he ran that website, Property of Zach. Oh yeah, the, uh, you guys like, all went to Drexel, right? Yeah, we were like one in one day, like first day of class. I was sitting next to this kid, and I was waiting for class to start, and I went on Property of Zach, and this kid leads over and he goes, "All right, uh, checking up on the news," and I was like, "Oh yeah, do you read this website?" And he was like, "That's my website." <laughs> Uh, and that's how I But yeah, with just stuff like like he was crazy because they he like it started with him getting some internship at like Pete Wentz's sub label or something, and then the website got acquired by somebody else, and then now he's not doing the website anymore. He does a bunch of other stuff, but that whole world was just like so. But the thing was that all started as. You know, just like a blog. Yeah. Like he was just talking about music that he liked. So it was so weird how at that time you could just start a blog, but also it could be crazy. And like that whole Fallout Boy thing where he like leaked the thing about them having holds at venues and it was it was weird. That was a crazy world. Yeah, I mean you uh, could you your your you hitting enter just like if you if you tweet something stupid and you yeah. delete it, someone's already yeah. screenshotted it. Someone's already thrown it up oh, on Instagram. Yeah. You're you're done. God, I would be totally. screwed in college. I would be ruined. <laughs> oh, man. The amount of dumb shit yeah, that dude. I said. Don't worry, guys. You can't find it. You can't find any of that. Yep, just evaporated. So, but the uh, that that's I. I love that I'm your age time and period because it was really interesting. I mean, you there, there was a level playing field. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Um, I mean, even just thinking about things like Bandcamp, you could you could start a band, record whatever into your MacBook with GarageBand, and then upload it to Bandcamp and email it to a hundred people, and then you know. A couple of days later, you're on like the first page of the Philadelphia Bandcamp tag, and it's like your friend asks you to play a show. But it's so everything is available for you. Mm-hmm. And then I think too for you guys, if when you were you know Drexel and you were 
playing. Obviously, I was in bands in college. You have tons of time. You don't really realize when you get out of it how much time you had in college, even though you thought you were busy the whole time. Yeah. You really weren't. <laughs> yeah. You really weren't yeah. busy <laughs> at all. We're doing anything. No. Uh, I hung out at the radio station and just got free CDs and went right. to shows. <clears throat> That's all I did. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you know you were going to shows. And you know what was some of the... You know, sort of the, I mean, Philly too, I mean, this, even with this term emo revival, I mean, it was such a huge part of it, it had such great beginnings. Yeah, we were, we were so lucky that we all landed here because it was seriously just the perfect environment with shows going on, specifically house shows going on everywhere, every day of the week. Um, and Philly's, Philly as a city is not big. So you can you could ride your bike to literally any house show in the city <laughs> in thirty minutes tops, and you'd pay five dollars and go see three of your friends' bands and then one band from out of town, like almost any night of the week. Um, it's not quite as dense now, but definitely when we first got there, like I guess it was six years ago, five or six years ago, it was all the time, and there was stuff like that going on. Um, Bandcamp was popping. Everybody mm-hmm. was just like, since everybody had a basement, because row homes are so big here, like five people would move into a house, record a demo in the basement of your row home, put it on Bandcamp. Um, there were also, uh, with us going to Drexel, and there were some other kids who went to UArts, both of those schools have recording studios that students are allowed to use. So, you know, there were like 10 or 15 kids uh, in the scene that were learning how to record bands at school. And as practice, they would just record the bands that were playing house shows. So those bands playing house shows would have like a new EP that they just got for free because somebody was trying to learn how to record bands. It was just the perfect environment. Um, and then you had, you know, you have KDU, the Drexel radio station. That's like mm-hmm. the super awesome punk radio station. Um, even the specifics of that were like a friend, Eric, um, who's also our manager and runs Lamo? He had a radio show, and also Emily had a radio show. Did she have a show? No, she just—I think she was at the station. But they had this rule where um, I guess this is probably a standard thing, but like for every show, you have to um, play a certain amount of like new music mm-hmm. that just came into the station. Um, so they would find out about new music from that. They'd be like, "Oh, this CD just came in from whoever," and I listened to it, and it was cool. Um, so there were so many different factors, like from every angle, and the city was so small and cheap that it was like you could do anything anytime. Uh, it I mean, was awesome. It, it goes back to that community part. You weren't in yeah. L.A. You weren't New York. You even yeah. even thinking about a small town, you, you wouldn't have the resources. It you you it's like Boston is the same way where you've yeah. got this. WERS yeah. uh, was a, a you know huge station for so many bands. Um, uh, I'm I'm forgetting, but I mean, there's so many colleges, and and the same thing with Philly. There's so many people, yeah. and it's yeah. so close. Like I always laugh when mm-hmm. I like travel there, and someone's like, you know, oh, I'm over here, and I'm like, that's like a ten minute walk. Why did they think that was that yeah, crazy? exactly? <laughs> and there's like four schools. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, and then for you, I mean, the with the you guys being uh, starting up and playing shows and that connection to emo, that word. Mm-hmm. I mean, initially people saying that, was there a 
was how did you feel about it? Was there a stigma to it in your mind? Did you have a conscious effort to tour with different brands, bands, or, or, or feel a certain way? What was it, you know, after you guys were like, wow, what are these bands to what is this and, and <laughs> your connection to it? It was always, it was definitely always confusing for us. Um, I think because we all had different perceptions of what it was. Like, I think mostly when we heard emo, the first thing we thought of was, like my chemical romance mm-hmm. so we would think this is cool that band rocks but we don't sound like that band so this is confusing and then more and then you would listen to like Algernon um and snowing and stuff like that and people would be like oh this is emo and you'd be like wait we don't really sound like this band either but this is kind of cool and then other people would say oh, those bands are really emo, but they're actually a derivative a derivative of, like, these emo bands. And then they would reference, like, the Midwestern stuff from the 90s. And it was just so, you know, just navigating the whole thing for us, which, as you know very well by now, we didn't know anything about anything. So it was just following, like, this trail of breadcrumbs to what is really emo. Um, and I don't know if we ever really found it, but we all got to the conclusion that, it, for us, it didn't really, um, we were never, like, offended by it or anything, it, but it was kind of cool because we realized at a certain point that it really, um, it kind of, whenever people first started talking about the revival, it was confusing, but also it gave this whole chunk of bands that community boost that you kind of get whenever you're, like, in a in a group that supports each other as opposed to just like, you know, trying to make it on your own. Um, cause it was cool because at that time we were all playing shows together and all touring together. Um, so whenever people talked about one of our bands, they would talk about all of our bands and it really helped us all like get more exposure and have more people listen to us. Um, and even though some people were like, oh, why would you want to be called an emo band or blah, blah, blah? It was like, does it really matter? Because it's just, you know, people getting exposed to music that people like. And I don't know, it was pretty neat. I was I was definitely a fan of when that all started happening. What was interesting to me being an outsider was the ethos that you guys had and you describing Philly is what I was doing in North Carolina or what was happening in other parts of the right. country at the ni- in, in the 90s. It was house shows. It was mm-hmm. this community aspect of... And again, you're right about it wasn't just going out on your own. You were doing it with friends. You were doing it with... Totally. Uh, you were... You were you could call on them. You could ask them for help. If your yes. drummer got sick, well, fine. I'll have the, yep. my buddy that's already knows our songs anyway. And exactly. every one of our shows, <laughs> it's that thing. When I go to warp tour and I see some of those bands and it's like, you know, they're starving for this attention. I'm like, you have no community. Yeah. You're, you're exactly. Yeah. That's that. I think so that's, isolating. that's, yeah, that's the connection to emo that I see more than the sound is that ethos of that that that's what that's what you had to do because and it's almost like you guys were in an accelerated form because of the internet you had that out on 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 top oh, of it oh yeah for sure and what's also too is it was it's it got to be the hot thing to cover 
I mean, I was surprised. <laughs> really? When this I was like, so funny. Like, when would you ever expect that? I mean, literally, I have been talking about this <clears throat> since, you know, my radio shows in the 90s and how these bands right. are important, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then it got forgotten. No one was talking about Sunny Day, Elliot for five or six years and then all of a sudden I'm like yep. who the hell just referenced Sunny Day and then there's this new band and yep. where have you been but it got to be this hot thing to cover and yep. to me it felt really weird to be like where have you guys been because in five years when they're totally. on to the next trend I'm sorry I'm still going to be doing this podcast still going to be here yeah <laughs> still going to be here and I think you guys are going to evolve right. you guys are going to evolve and, and, and sound and be who you guys are as a band and I hope fans go along with you but did you have a feeling that you're like wait a minute this is sort of a perfect storm of all these like huge outlets covering it and people were clicking on it (laughs) and listening it was a little bit freaky it was like this is really cool right now but what's gonna what is going to happen with this like it was I don't even know how to describe it but it was like it was cool whenever everyone was writing articles and mentioning like us and into it over it and whoever, but there was definitely a feeling of like, what's going to happen after this? Because this is definitely not going to stick around. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It was just very strange. I think another part of it is that we tried to, um, we really appreciated when we would get mentioned in those kinds of things. Uh, but we didn't try to like, take advantage of it we weren't like oh wow we're getting mentioned in all these emo revival articles we should like find ways to be more emo since this is working right now it was kind of just like oh this is really nice that we're getting mentioned let's keep doing what we're doing maybe it'll happen again later but um we just tried to keep doing our thing um so it was definitely it was really freaky because it was like you said it was seriously out of nowhere so hard and fast like there was a we did a, on our first or second one year's tour, Ian Cohen from Pitchfork came to, like Pitchfork of all places, came to one of the one year's shows, and we did like an emo roundtable discussion uh, in the green room with like us and Citizen and like uh, two other bands. And we were all just sitting there doing the interview, and after it happened and it went up on the internet, it was just like, what is going on? This is definitely about to be over. I have no idea what just happened for the last, like, three months, but this is, like, this makes no sense. So, it was a weird time. That is very weird. That is weird. Uh, I think there are (laughs) some, and I I think the other part is that there's this mentality online that if one or two or three people say something about a record and they say it's Mm -hmm. awesome or this band is really cool, if you say something different than that there's this like mentality of it's 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 almost like the decision has been made and it's weird sometimes where no one's really i want people to say stuff about a record and you know you i guess because it's the internet and it's so quick and it's not paper or it's not something that you waited for there's this this sense of like well everybody needs to like this uh, and if you don't, you're yep. going to get chastised. Or did you find that, or yep. feel that there was like this? I don't know. It just seems like some bands they kind of there's like this flash in the pan, and no one gives them a second chance. Or and then mm. other bands get 
I guess it's I guess it's old as time. I just feel like sometimes there's like four or yeah. five gatekeepers when that shouldn't be. Everybody, like you said back in the yeah. day, with all those blogs and Zach, he could say what he wanted, and it was just as much weight as the other right. ones. Yeah, I totally get the uh, the permanency vibe that you're talking about, specifically on. Uh, I remember when sports came out, we got an absolute punk review. And there were just pages and pages and pages of comments on it of people arguing about whether we were good or not. And the people who thought that we were good thought we were the best band ever. And the people who thought that we were bad thought that we were the worst band ever. And it seriously went on for weeks. But it, you get this vibe that, like, it definitely felt like, you know, the first four comments were, like, people stating their opinion. And then the arguments would get so deep so fast that nobody ever had an opportunity to, like, go back and listen to it again and think, like, oh, maybe this isn't that good. Or, oh, maybe this is kind of good. But there's just, there's so much quick information and it's really easy to get really defensive because you're communicating via, like, texting, basically, and you don't get people's, like, vocal inflections or anything. Mm -hmm. But because of all those factors, you feel like once you say one thing, you have to defend it the whole time or else you're just going to be seen as like, you know, a flip flopper or something. But yeah, it was, it was so weird to just see people argue for like pages and pages about something that definitely doesn't matter. And you're definitely going to not going to maintain the same opinion about (laughs) modern baseball's first record for the rest of your life if you even, you know, listen to it after the next four months of your life. So why, why does it even, it was, it was strange. I mean, absolute punk when we were, I was at equal vision and we would release a new band or circus survival, put out a song. You would have this tendency to look at the comments and you would sort of gauge it. And you're like 80% people loved it. 20% people hated it. But I felt (laughs) that it's sort of, I guess it's not a good analogy, but I'm thinking like Yelp, like you go on Yelp and if yeah. if you go to the dry cleaner around the corner and it's a piece of shit and they ruin your tie, you're <laughs> you're more apt to like put like they fucked up my tie, screw the yep. dry cleaner on that street. But if they were awesome, I don't know, you go home yeah. and then you're already happy, so you go buy your girlfriend a flowers or something. You don't even like right. go on Yelp. Yeah. So there's that there's more haters. So it, sure. it's so hard sure. to gauge. It's like, well it was eighty twenty, but Twenty percent actually felt like they're going to say something nice, and we kind of had to do all these like math equations, and I, it was it was hard. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It's, it, you're right. It's so weird how if you hate a band, you'll make it your cause to like tell people that you hate it. But if you like a band, you have to like work up the. If you like a band and you like do anything for them, like even if you take the time to go online and buy a record, it, within you it feels like you're like on a campaign and you're like doing something huge because you really care about this band. It's it's sort of like, it's sort of like when people tweet about those causes, it's like, you just tweeted. Did you go to, did did you go down, did you go down to the, did you go to the protest? Did you go to the rally? Yeah. Oh, 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 you didn't. Oh, you tweeted from your your bedroom. Oh, got it. All right. Uh, Oh my God. Oh, but did you see that thing recently about, um, one of my friends really into Reddit, and he found this Reddit thread that was like, remember the Ice Bucket Challenge thing? Yeah. So, I don't know if you heard this or not, but apparently, like, however many years later it is now, 
uh, and everybody was just like shitting on Ice Bucket Challenge because it was very silly and like ridiculous. But apparently they raised enough money from doing the, the dumb Ice Bucket Challenge that they found uh, they found the gene that causes like whatever that disease is that it was for. That's amazing. And they can like, yeah, isn't that ridiculous? Like because of the freaking Ice Bucket Challenge. So that kind of turned my world upside down a little bit but that's also definitely oh, not totally. the case for everything no totally no i love that i love when like those kind of things happen but it's like the yes like those things people were giving money it's that it's that non-sequential yeah. tweet or you know i right. i mean i love all these causes but it's like the next day you're gonna post you know a beyonce video again you know it's not like it's right it gets, yeah. It's it's almost like you're not allowed to post anything on the internet for a minute. You have like a moratorium, and then like 24 yeah. hours goes by, and then you're like okay to do it again. Yeah, and it's so it's so easy since everything happens so fast. It's so easy to like forget what you did five minutes ago. Yeah. So you kind of if you want to if you feel really strongly about something, and you're posting about it, and you want to do something about it. This sounds really dumb, but you have to like remember it later if you want to do something about it um, or else it's just going to like, you're going to go on some other website and you're going to totally forget about it. And that's just the way, you know, human brains work, especially with the internet. But yeah, it's, I I feel bad for the dry cleaner because they, they, the, 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 because the tie was awesome and I should have let everybody know that the tie was awesome. (laughs) Yep. Man, that poor dry cleaner. He's probably living on the streets now. I know it is boarded up. I just think it's temporary, but that's fine. (laughs) Gotta get his act together. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your record and cool. the Slaughter Beach Dog. It's called Welcome, and I yeah. think you know I I did some reading and I've listened to it, and I think obviously I hear men- bands you've mentioned before. I hear Weaker Thans. I hear Pedro. <laughs> you know, I love you know this. This could have come out in '98, and you'd have been you'd have been you'd have been set. You'd have been fine. Um, oh hell yeah! <laughs> you would have been good to go. Uh, the nice, dude. with the kind of said your sort of it was kind of a concept thing and this point of view of the mm-hmm. fictional characters. Can you talk about that process again? Why you chose that yeah. and what kind of felt what kind of feelings you were thinking about? For sure. Uh, sidebar: I don't know if you just heard a loud noise in the phone. Did you go to the bathroom? I... <laughs> Got the huge bomb. No, I built uh, I built a shelf in my room the other day. Yeah, and put all my clothes on it, and it literally just fell down. And oh I like, no! Oh, I'm good. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> my roommate just checked on me to make sure I'm alive. Awesome. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, where's my? Yes, you can. Oh, they're under my clothes. Hold on one second. Take your time. Everybody. Wow, what a perfect storm right now. Everybody, Jake is fine. He needed to screw things a little bit tighter, uh, and his clothes have all fallen down. Don't go on I the internet and talk about this. I don't this. know what happened. <laughs> yeah, did, look at this shit. It's ridiculous. Did you hear? Jake oh, well. doesn't know how to shop at Home Depot. <laughs> Should be in. Cool. See you, man. Um, okay, we're good. Uh, <laughs> talking about... Oh, the concept. I can edit this, don't worry. Um, 
<laughs> just, leave, just leave it all in. That'd be so good. Or maybe like do one of those things where you chop it up and auto tune it into a song. Um, but so I wrote most of the songs when I was kind of all the modern baseball songs are obviously like super personal. Um, but there was a point after I think after we put out "You're Gonna Miss It All," where for some reason I just like couldn't write anything at all. Um, and it sucked because I was always, I never really sit down to write songs. I usually kind of wait for inspiration and then it'll come out. But that was just not happening for literally months. And it was really uh, aggravating because I get a lot of, um, I don't know, just like relief from writing songs. So it was really weird. But I decided that to try and um, cater to that inconvenience um, I was going to like try to write a story and then write songs about that story. Um, so I just like came up with a couple of characters and like wrote a draft in my computer. Not a long thing, but just like every now and then I would sit down and write a couple of paragraphs about, you know, these two people. And then I would try to write a song about it. Um, and it was really exciting. It was like something I'd never done before. And it was a really cool, just like songwriting experiment, if anything, because I'd only ever written songs about myself. But, um, yeah, it was cool. And then, honestly, once I did that, uh, that kind of helped me get back into uh, the personal stuff because it helped me realize, like, how many... Because when you're writing the story and you're writing the song from the story, when you try to come up with tiny details, you have to, like, think of the tiny details. Um, and you realize how special they are, even though you wouldn't think about them in the first place. Um, so because of that, I started noticing way more super tiny things in my own life, and I was like, oh, I could write songs about literally anything. Um, so it was cool. And then because of that, there was kind of, uh, like, the record's not completely... It's, like, mostly that story, but a lot of it is also my own influence. There's, like mixed up chunks and stuff so um but yeah the main thing is about just a couple of made-up characters i love that some favorites of mine that people need to check out uh monsters um uh now the acoustic version which i i found online is fucking beautiful uh, so oh, I actually hey, wrote, I wrote fucking beautiful. I can even show you the screenshot. I literally just, <laughs> I said fucking beautiful. I also have a, whole, I have a, uh-huh. I have a super potty mouth too. Uh, politics, nice. uh, politics of grooming. Can you talk about that one? That one uh-huh. was really interesting to kind of listen to. And I thought there was something else to it. Cool. Uh, that one was, that song is kind of, I had written, I wrote the whole thing from the back. And then I couldn't really figure out, I couldn't really think of a way to do it justice without just leaving it like boring and acoustic. So I just decided to stick with it that way. Um, but the, that part of the story is kind of just talking about the main, um, the main character, Annie, uh, and just her, her struggles with, moving forward in life and also she has like a questionable relationship with her mother who is an alcoholic as you can kind of tell in the song um but that was kind of a that also came from a little bit of what's the 
just like overthinking life stuff and like thinking about that story, but also thinking about um, the at the end of the song, it talks about her coming downstairs. She like wakes up in a bad dream and she comes downstairs and her mom's like blacked out drunk. And so she's just like sitting there in the middle of the night and she can't wake up her mom and she doesn't know what to do. Uh, so she just like goes back to bed. Um, and that was also kind of just like uh, a personal fear that I had when I'm just, you know, going on being 23 and like doing whatever I want all the time. And then thinking about, you know, one day you eventually have to like grow up and learn how to be an adult. And like, you know, if you have a kid, you can't be blacked out drunk whenever your kid wakes up at three in the morning. And just like that kind of thought being terrifying. Like I used to have these weird, um, like not fantasies cause that sounds bad, but like, if I got anxious about something, I would have these weird daydreams about, like, what if, you know, what if one day when I'm 35, what if I, uh, I don't know, get, like, if I get screwed up one night and then my kid wakes up and has to go to the hospital and I can't drive the kid to the hospital because I'm drunk. Like, what the hell does a person do in that scenario? And also, does that make you, like, a trash person. Um, so I don't know. I was just like thinking about a lot of things like that. And then also thinking about the story and kind of let it blend into each other. Um, but I'm glad you like it. That's really cool. I was always nervous about that one as to whether it was, if it was too like (laughs) rambly and boring. No, I think what's really interesting about what you're saying is, um, that you're thinking about things and, I mean, I'm 38. I'm super. I don't feel old. I still feel like 25, and I stay out all late. I, yeah. I, I don't feel at all, but I, I, I definitely am. And I think you thinking about those things. I had those same sort of things because the reason why you're having them is because you care about the people around you, and you care about those people. So mm-hmm. you're you're thinking about that at night, and you're thinking about how much these people mean to you, and that you want to make sure you're going to be there for them. And I think you thinking about that now. You kind of you kind of said thirty five. It's really funny. Shit does get real around this time. Um, so oh, you know, and I think you being able to think about that now is actually going to help later on. Um, you know, cool. there's there's shit that you know there's uh, a lot of stuff that recently I've, I've I've had to deal with that is very very serious, and you don't realize it until it happens, and you get into this mode where you just have to do it, and uh, yeah. Those things are those things are there and coming, and people have them throughout their lives. But you thinking about them—that's a good thing because you're 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 already caring and you're already thinking about it. Cool, that's good to hear. <laughs> I, I I didn't mean that preachy, but meaning like the, the that oh, thought, no, that that thought all. process no, no. was very very you know it's 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 good to have. Um, cool. The other one too, I liked uh, Essex Street. I loved that sort of ending. Um, uh-huh. how, uh, how much fun was that to write? I love like jammy <laughs> ending things. Like I love uh, "Goodbye Sky Harbor" by Jimmy Eat World. Like I like I love that kind of mm-hmm. shit. So what were some of the you know? Was it just something that you were like, we're jamming and we're not stopping? So <laughs> now the song's gonna end or no? <laughs> I guess we keep going. Um, it's kind of weird to think about because I try to remember why I did it, but because I I I like wrote and recorded all the different instruments on the record, except for Ian played the lead guitar on Monsters. 
So I'm trying to think when I had the thought to like do an instrumental jam, but you don't you don't get the gratification of like doing an instrumental jam in the same room with other people. Oh, yeah, it was you're like right. me playing each part by myself. So now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, that why did I even think to do that? Um but I think mainly it was that um <laughs> A little guitar riff at the beginning, like I think I came up with that, and I wanted to. Oh wait, no. Okay, this is what it was. Now I remember. Um, the song "Toronto Mug 2 mm-hmm. was originally gonna be. That was originally gonna be one song with Essex Street. Like it was gonna be Toronto Mug Two. And it ends and just like ends up being a five or six minute song or however long. It just like ends with a big jam. And that's how the record ends. But uh, when I was sequencing it, or like when I was finishing up tracking, I was like, oh, Toronto 2 actually works pretty cool right at the end of, I think it's at the end of Drinks, um, or wherever I put it. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then if I separate this from the ending jam, then I have 10 songs. So I think it was just kind of like a, um, like having it be its own thing was more of a like technical decision just so I could have another song technically. Mm-hmm. But doing, doing the whole jam originally just started as it was going to be the end of that song. But then also one, one side is I was kind of thinking though, since Toronto Mug 2 is so, like, sparse, and then that jam is so dense, I was like, this is probably going to be super corny if these are both in the same song. I was like, (laughs) let me make this its own song so I can go full rock and not even have to think about it. Um, So that was also a part of it. I like that thinking. I just really wanted to rock. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really fun to record now that I think about it because I just got to turn up really loud and, like, do a bunch of layers of guitar. Um, Hell so. yeah! I'm glad you like yeah. it. That's cool to hear. Yeah, my I mean, my dream to be is in a instrumental band that just has that just sounds like Mogwai. So if you ever want to be in a band that sounds like Mogwai, <laughs> come on up. We'll just do that. Get up your boy. Done. Done. We'll we'll, we'll cool. do that. Cool deal. So breaking news: Wash Up Emo and Jake from Modern Baseball have formed a Mogwai band. Uh, if anyone wants to know, check it out. We don't know if there's going to be music soon. We just. Trust me, it'll be awesome. Have you? Th- yeah, I got the Bandcamp page reserved already. <laughs> What's it called? What's it called? What are we going to call it? It's uh, not Mogwai.bandcamp.com. <laughs> not even close, Mogwai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the, I thought too, as I was listening through it, was have you thought about anything visually for this? So, is it a series of books? Is it videos? Is it images? Because not that you want to put things in people's heads, but I feel like you could you mm-hmm. could really continue this. I'm not saying this is Coheed and Cambria, um, which I worked with Coheed. <laughs> I love Claudio. That's I funny. love I love all the comic books. Yeah. Uh, I love all that <laughs> stuff. But it's like I'm not saying it's that. But is there some way to show this visually in a way that can help tell the story more? Hmm. I don't know. Um, honestly, I don't know if I would ever. I know some people are like really into that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know if I would ever really want to particularly Mm -hmm. like my favorite, my favorite thing about, uh, kind of records that are more on the conceptual side 
is when you kind of find out uh, when your only resource is the songs. And sometimes you don't even realize it's a concept record until you get like five listens through and you're like, wait a minute, is there a story in here? Um, so my kind of goal for it is to, <laughs> I even remember like when I was planning out the, like the press release with Eric and Emily, I was like, don't say like that much about the concept. I want it to be like kind of a secret. I don't want everybody to know. But then we ended up talking about it pretty openly, which is like totally cool. They rock. Um, and it's, uh, it's cool because a lot of people ask me about it now, but my, my ideal situation when I listen to a record is like, you listen to it one time through and you're like, oh, that's a cool record. And then I'm a big like revisitor mm-hmm. and I'll try to just like get as much out of it as I can. Um, just like the same way that you would reread a book if you like feel like you miss some of it. So um, I would really like people, the best, I don't know, the biggest compliment I could get was it would be if somebody would come up to me and say like, you know, I listened to this record, I liked it, and then I listened to it, you know, five more times, and now I can hear kind of a narrative in it. Like, is there something going on here? And I'll be like, yo, that rocks. Um, so that's kind of my, like, I remember, speaking of Pedro, like listening to Pedro Records, um, what's that one called? Winners Never Quit. Mm-hmm. The one about, like, the fucking, you know, the politician guy and then his drunk mm-hmm. brother or something. And then... <laughs> If you, I even like, I eventually bought the record, and I was reading the liner notes, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to say anything about, you know, what this is about. And it seems very much like it's obviously not about him because it's got all this fucky stuff in it. But I remember just like reading the liner liner notes, and it's just like the lyrics, and then who recorded it, and that's it. And it's like, you know, it's just like this secret story that you kind of have to figure out for yourself. So. It's That's in- my favorite part about it. It's interesting you said only the record because that goes back to <laughs> the 90s. It goes back to what we, we talked about earlier where oh, man. you only had the CD to look at. So when you – like for me, yeah. I got my first CD um, – actually, you know what? I'm not going to date myself. Whatever CD I bought, everyone knows I'm old. <laughs> so whatever that CD was, you were staring at it and you had the photos, yeah. you had the text and it was almost like the, you were – it was ingrained. It was just sitting there and going into your brain back and forth as yeah. you're listening, and you're sort of doing that now with this. And you want someone to sit uh, with it, and you want. And there's, it's just a really interesting thing that, like I said, that ethos you you have it inside of you, and I'm I'm so happy because uh-huh. that's that's that that Thank part you. that you you want that that sense of someone really taking hold of this. And I get really worried sometimes yeah. about streaming. Because I like I need mm. I need the MP3. If you can't give me the record or I can't mm-hmm. have the CD, just give me the MP3s because I feel at least a little bit connected to it because it's in my <laughs> yeah. iTunes library. But I I, I would yep. I wish that I got this as a record or a CD, and then I could uh-huh. and I didn't have this. I'll have to send you one. Yeah, no, you know, yeah, I want it. But that kind of like <laughs> you have that connection to it versus like when you were staring at Winners Never Quit, you. You were right. That was it. That was you. Was you your CD player? Yep. And that in in your room, and that's it. You're just like that's the only thing you're thinking about. And I just don't know if that happens. My thing with streaming is that yeah, it's definitely, uh, especially with 
I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of streaming, but I use it to decide what I'm going to buy on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm super like full album oriented when I listen to things, which I realize now is like not a lot of people don't do that, which is totally fine, but it's so weird how the culture of music now is like you can make a whole record, but the focus is going to be one song. Like you need to pick a single that you're going to have a music video for, and that's the song everyone's going to hear, and that's what's going to decide whether they like your band or not. And then like if they want to hear more from you they'll look for maybe like two more songs of record that they like but there's so few people who it will like listen front to back and try to digest the record but that's like one of my favorite things to do like fucking going back to Weakerland's records and just doing like three in a row front to back and getting all the stories that are in there is it's like better than tv man it's so cool it's like the best thing in the world so, yeah, I, the, if I could ever do anything like that, that I would feel so accomplished. <laughs> You're on your way, man. I'm telling you, you, uh-huh. guys, you guys are awesome. Uh, what do you? I mean, I guess what? What's? It's always the question, but I think maybe think you can think in terms of dreams too, because we've been talking about dreams. But mm-hmm. what? What do you want to do next? <laughs> there are things that you're thinking about that are far out there, or things that you're kind of you think about at night and smile like are there things you're wanting to do <laughs> um i don't know I, i'm kind of in this like i won't call it a shitty position because i am excited about it but i told you how i wrote the sweater beach songs and that kind of got me going on writing other songs uh and uh, oh well i guess the holy ghost songs came from that but then even since that uh i've written like the most amount of songs I've ever written in the shortest amount of time. And they just kind of like keep coming and I love writing them. But I, we just put out the modern baseball record and I just put out the side of peach dog record. So I don't know like what, to, I don't know when's the next chance I'm going to get to put out a record unless I like start another band or like put out another record way too early for one of those bands. So, uh, I'm kind of just daydreaming about what to do with those songs because I'm really excited about them and I want, you know, to do something with them. But what about, uh, I also don't, you know, what's it? No, I was just saying, what about if you, if you record them, get them to where you want and then have them ready when you want them? I guess so. Yeah. Cause then I could have the time to like make them rock. Yeah. Or you add another super rad outro. Yeah. I could do an all outro record, dude. Don't start all with me. Don't start with me. I will. <laughs> I will bring my Jim Atkins signature Fender down to Philly. And oh my will, god! And I'll, and yeah. I'll, and I'll add we'll some. I will add some delay. Don't 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 threaten yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> don't test me. <laughs> well, no, I think maybe yeah, I will do that. I think get started. I record it, and then again, it's not like you don't put it on Bandcamp. Don't share. <clears> have it there and. You know, maybe six months from now, you'll be like, "Oh wow, that one part, I want to do that." Or you're like, "That was that moment in time. I'm going right. to leave it there." And then when it comes out, it's still new to everybody else. True. Yeah. Nice. Not a bad idea. <laughs> I do like when bands do that. Yeah. Do you listen to uh, Porches at all? Porches? No. They're uh, they're like a cool um, band that I like, but they do this the last record they put out is very like synth oriented 
Um, and I'm pretty sure the guy did it like mostly in his bedroom. Uh, his name's Aaron Main. But they also have an amazing live band. Um, and when they do live shows now and they play the songs from the record, they'll like completely reorchestrate it. And then when they play old songs, which were from the pre-synth record with like mostly regular instruments, um, the, they've been playing them for so long and they're so tight that they just do a bunch of weird shit with those old songs. So that's something that I do really dig when people do that. I like that so. when bands do that, when they, like they're so used to the breakdown at that one part and then the band mm-hmm. plays it regular just to fuck with them. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you wanted the breakdown? Yeah, that was two tours ago. We're going to do this. <laughs> Not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, are, you know, it's funny you said that. The last thing I want to ask is there are some bands or things that people need to check out that they might not know or things that you're digging on um, that people cool. should check out. Uh, actually, I've been... Really, uh, definitely favorite band. One of my new favorite songwriters, actually. I'll go out on a uh, on a limb slash soapbox and say one of my new favorite songwriters is... Oh, God, what's her name? <laughs> this is very convincing. There's this band called Big Thief. Uh, they have a record out on Saddle Creek now, and I think they just announced a couple of shows with Frankie Cosmos, but they have this record called Masterpiece, which is like fucking... So, so good. Uh, there was a time period of a couple of weeks where I would listen to it front to back two times a day. And it's just like the storytelling on it and the guitar playing, it's like pretty folky, but also kind of rocking. And oh, Adrian, the singer Adrian, and she's the songwriter, will do this thing where like the guitar parts that she writes are chordy, but also she'll do things within the chords that like match her lyric melodies mm-hmm. or like harmonize with them with the guitar. And it's so fucking cool. So Big Thief, um, new level up record is like really sick. Tell me about uh, them. I've, I've, them. I've seen Dude, a bunch of people yeah. people mention them. What's what's if you like the nineties, then that is the band for you. They actually yeah, they're <laughs> right up your alley, especially this this new record. <laughs> um and it's super well produced, which is awesome. Um they're just super like fuzzed out, um mid tempo uh cool cool lyrics cool guitar parts cool melodies there's three songwriters in the band so it's very like you never get the same thing twice it's always a lot of cool different stuff on a record um and it's great they're all like two and a half minute uh pop songs but also the thing about them is a lot of times they'll like write a two and a half minute pop song but then end with like a two and a half minute jam after they've given you the perfect pop song so there's some very sick ones like that. Um, they're super good. Uh, I don't know if there's much else. I've been listening to this great podcast that came out a couple of years ago called You Talk and You Too to Me with uh, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, ah. uh, where they talk about how much they like you too. Uh, so that's pretty good. I probably listen to that more than I listen to music now. I know. Often can.